You're listening to Cultivation Elevated, hosted by Michael Williamson, where we discuss vertical farming and the future of cannabis and food production. You'll be learning key insights for vertical farming success from leading industry operators, growers, and executives. If you're a grower or owner looking to optimize your existing or new indoor cultivation facility, or anyone looking to cultivate more in less space, we've got you covered. Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Particulture. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cultivation Elevated, sponsored by Pip Horticulture. I'm your host, Michael Williamson. I'm here in Berlin, Germany, with Timo, General Manager of Fluence. And because we are in Germany, I also want to introduce all of you in German. Ein wunderschönen guten Morgen hier von, uh, von der ICBC in Berlin und ich freue mich auf das Interview. Und ja, uh, yeah, let's get it on. Let's get it on. So, tell me a little bit about your role before you were part of Fluence. You're so I have a background in economics, I worked for different companies and transformation projects and so on. Yeah. And at one point I was hired by a big lighting company called Osram and they wanted to go into horticulture and I was an innovation manager to, to bring the company into this segment. And that at one point led to the acquisition of Fluence, which is nowadays part of the Signify family. But yeah, so that was my journey of the last eight years in horticultural lighting. And when did you start looking into horticulture? What year was that when you started the pivot into horticultural lighting? So that was 2015, end of 2015. And you know, back then, lighting, LED lighting for crops was really special. So that uh, back then, growing uh, crops only with artificial light was like, you know, like space emissions. It yes. felt like to, to yep. people, right? Nowadays, it's in uh, totally accepted technology, adopted technology. So yeah, it's in, it was an interesting journey the last eight years for sure. I remember when Fluence came out with the full, with the spider for the first time, 2015-ish. Yeah. And uh, that was the first time that all growers really started paying attention. They said, that's interesting. Yeah. Because before that, it was like no LED, no LED, especially in flower. They were like, oh, yeah. so yeah, you guys were uh, disruptors. And then mm -hmm. we just watched the evolution of multi-tier lighting approaches like PIP behind us here really take off in the States. Yeah. So 2015 in Europe, there's not much, it's just starting to come together. How many people are like operating at that point? So back then there were, I would say like, uh, maybe actually only one legal cannabis producer. There was one medical producer in, uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, Okay, also in Israel, they were, they always, uh, was always allowed to do research in cannabis, so there was also a couple of things going, but that's it on cannabis. 2015, there were no legal markets in Europe. Of course, greenhouses all over the place, especially in the Netherlands, it's the highest concentration of high-tech greenhouses in the world. And also there, it was really hard to disrupt the old technology and get LED in, because the initial investments were higher back then, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, nowadays, no one in this area would buy an old technology. It's totally disrupted. Yeah, and also, I imagine by law and just by like the mentality of like efficiencies of the Germans, you know, it seems like it's a legacy technology. But you have to write. And the European Union is uh, yeah, doing the, uh, the lawmaking in regards to, you know, phasing out old technology to go and upgrade to more efficient lighting. You see it in all different lighting verticals. That at one point they said, okay, you cannot use fluorescent, you cannot use halogen or whatever technologies, mm -hmm. and need to go to LED. When I talk to people internationally outside of Germany, Germany is a very 
it's a very important part of their dialogue. It's a big part of their plan, you know. So I talk to people in South Africa or Australia or anywhere in Europe. They always talk about, we hope that we can export to Germany someday. Yes. And so can you talk to me about why Germany is kind of, it seems to be the where everything is funneling to or the center of the cannabis industry for Europe and also for, it seems like, the globe. Yeah. So I think the one part of the answer is definitely Germany has 83, 84 million inhabitants. So it's the biggest society and population within Europe. So it's the biggest single addressable market, right? If, you, if they go, you know, medical or hopefully later date recreational, you have a big addressable market. And also a lot of, you know, if things happening in Germany, you often have a kind of domino effect because if the biggest domino falls, the rest falls easier. So if you have a good Makoto market there, you can expand beyond. So that is a couple of reasons, but right now from a market point of view, the biggest medical cannabis market in Europe is Germany. So with that, it makes sense. And that's why also you see that a lot of the ecosystem is, uh, is uh, in Germany. So you see a lot of startups and, mm -hmm. you know, coming and popping up in Germany for the industry. Because it just makes sense. It develops itself as a hub right now for Europe. And talk to me a little bit about the German program. So there's about 300,000 registered yeah. patients on the medical program. But it sounds like I've heard different conflicting things. Some say it's easy to get a medical license for as a patient, and other people tell me it's quite difficult because I think you, you do not have chronic pain as an option. Yes, you're uh, absolutely right. So the indications for what you can get prescribed are very limited, and it must be a very severe issue like multiple sclerosis and um, <laughs> epilepsy and other things, and then you get it prescribed. And, but it's opening up for, so there are more uh, things where you can get it, but that, generally it's difficult to get it. And it's more that also the, the doctors don't know how to prescribe it, so that makes it challenging. And uh, still in Germany, the far majority of what is prescribed is flour, and uh, you need to hit special thresholds. You cannot have, you know, your, your product must be of uh, high uh, consistency. And some strains just drop off because they don't hit the thresholds the sure. next time and then they're not available. But doctors don't, they prescribe here thrades. Ah. And that is difficult. That is unique. That is very unique. And that's difficult because if it's not available, then they, the patient comes back to the doctor and it's, uh, it's, it's complicated mm. bureaucracy. And doctors ah, don't so like interesting. it, you know? Yeah. But yet, to come back to it, so 300,000 patients, roughly 25 tons have been imported to Germany and 15 tons ended up in the pharmacy. Just to give you, to put it in relation, Israel, which is like 10% of the society and had like below 200,000 patients, had 40 tons. So factor three more. So you see that they consume also more per patient. So I think there's still room in the amount of patients in Germany, but also how much they get prescribed. Now, another thing too is if it doesn't go to the pharmacy, who would sell the products? Only the, pharmacies allowed. Only pharmacies, yeah. right? But also, it's covered with by your country's universal health care. Yes, you're absolutely right. So the Czech Republic and Germany have by far the high, highest reimbursement rates. There is in the medical, the patients, some are paying for themselves and some get it reimbursed. Mm -hmm. Depends a little bit how the insurance companies are 
seeing how severe the issue is. But yeah, there's higher reimbursement. And that is also, normally if we see other markets where you often had first the medical market, and then the recreation come in, you see that medical is plateauing and then declining because mm. the recreation is picking mm -hmm. up. Here, because of the reimbursement, it's a little bit more protective yes. because you get it for yes. free, kind of. That is definitely one thing. But from a recreation side, this takes a little bit. So typically in like the United States, you have a medical program first always, and it opens up the door for adult use or recreational. Yeah. But typically there'll be like a syntax on top of the adult use. So they make it a little bit more expensive, but maybe it's only 10 or 15% more expensive. And so some people say, ah, I don't need my medical card. I don't want to pay the card. I'll just, you know, I'll get a little bit. But when you're talking about reimbursing 70 plus percent of the medicine, like you said, that would be a very good reason to maintain your medical. Yeah. One of the things that I think is interesting from, coming from a medical background, I worked for a buyer before being in cannabis. And so what's interesting is the doctors are prescribing a single cultivar strain for ailments, but we also are learning that when you consume the same cultivar over and over again, you build a tolerance, Absolutely no different true. than alcohol or opiates or anything like that. And so it's interesting to hear that they're prescribing single, because we do see that there's an additional entourage effect by having different varieties. Understood. So that's really, yeah, that's interesting. And as a cultivator, it's extremely challenging to grow a product you can grow a product harvest by harvest, but to be consistent with it, especially within a, like a pharmacology guidelines, I imagine is quite challenging. It is, and we are seeing that right now, the product, which is ending up in German pharmacies, is really coming around the boat. New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, Lesotho, South America, Canada, and then in Europe from, you know, Portugal, and, and you name it. So really a global supply chain. Mm -hmm. But you often see that a grower or a cultivar there and then it drops out. And it's extremely important for the pharmacies to have you know, them available longer time, but also have alternative strains, which are similar you know, in, in the, the THC and CBD values, so that you can change so that you don't get into the issue with intolerances. You need to increase the, the amount you're taking over time so that the doctors have some possibilities. Right now, I would say you have in German pharmacies in average like 150 to 170 strains right now available that's pretty, pretty good. good but they are also all very high thc so it's also interesting that it still takes a little there's only a couple of strains where you have a balanced thcbd or a lower thc and so on i think there's definitely room in the market and patients would like to have that sure but right now there's still a lot of i want more and uh, mentality, you know, high THC, but I think this is something about, you know, the longer the market is potentially legal or available, that you will see that there are also other preferences, and that is something I'm personally very excited about, nice. that there are more alternatives than to, to get really high THC full uh, Sure. No, no concentrates? Or extractions yet? Yeah, there are. It's a little bit of tricky because, you know, it's when I say medical cannabis, it's like really medical cannabis, it's a flower. It's not pharmaceutical cannabis, right? Correct. Yeah. And the more the product is getting into the category of pharmaceutical, being a pill, being a tincture and whatnot, yeah. and you have, you need to do, go to more amounts of clinical trials and you need to build much more evidence and that is extremely time cost intensive. 
and right now there's only really one um, one classic pharmaceutical cannabis product you can get right now in Europe, and the prime majority is flour. Yeah, what is that? What is that pharmaceutical product? That is uh, from GW Pharmaceuticals. Uh, like a Sativex? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure you followed along with Canada and we saw that they had a big rise and then a big fall. And it was a combination of, in my opinion, some regulatory issues with Health Canada. Also that evaluations were based on what you could, how much you could cultivate, but not how much you could sell. Yeah. So we saw, you know, like 20 hectare greenhouses get erected, but they didn't have the outlets. And they thought that they were gonna export all this stuff. And all of a sudden there was a big bottleneck at the retail or wholesale level. Yeah. What lessons do you think Europe can learn from a country like Canada's uh, approach to international? If I, you know, the, right now we are seeing the issue of Canada coming to Europe because we are seeing relatively low cost of the medical cannabis coming into the European market because there is such an oversupply, which are at prices which are maybe partly under cost. So, that is destroying markets right now. Here, so that's not good. So my learning is more, I'm a little bit surprised that normal business principles seem to not apply for Canadian cannabis companies in regard to one thing. They are for a long time, a lot of companies not profitable. Mm -hmm. And normally that is okay. Then you have a market correction and companies fall out. But somehow there's again and again money available to keep on going. Normally, there would be a market correction, like in our other, other industries. And that is something we need to accept that things need to break. You have a high price and a yen, and the value of tears, and then stabilizing. So now we need to stabilize, but now we are keeping it going and now taking the issues to other regions. Uh, and that is something where, where I personally think it's important to go through the phases and accept it's very normal that it's you know, after a, a uh, growth and hype phase, it's going down, but it needs to, to normalize. And for that, we need to just accept that if things are working or not working. But uh, that is one thing, just a general answer, but also bigger is not better. Repurposing uh, tomato greenhouses <laughs> for cannabis, until today surprised about it, because what does it, has a tomato in common with a cannabis plant? If you take a flower greenhouse where the people are used to produce batches and have a flower like cannabis, yeah. I understand, but tomatoes, it's a high wire crop growing. It's totally. a high wire, it's a long harvest cycle, cannabis is fast. So it's a, the whole, you, you, the infrastructure is different, the, if you use the, or part of the same team, it's totally different mm -hmm. as a piece to follow and everything. So I, this is also something, so too big, too fast, too big, too much investment. It looks very asset heavy mm -hmm. and not like, okay, where can we be with asset lean? And also this approach of going everywhere at the same time and vertically integrated. So it's a lot of complexity in the business model in diversification in regions and products and so on. That is difficult to manage. What are you excited for the future for Europe? What needs to happen in order for kind of everything to go tipping forward at an accelerated rate? Because it seems like a lot of the people we were talking to, we were down in Switzerland with some clients and it's like, we're waiting on Germany. We hope maybe two years, you know, it's, there seems to be a mystery around when it really is time to go. Yeah, that's a good one. So for me personally, the important thing is to make the first steps. They are always the hardest, but if you start going, 
you go, right? And so, and for me, the first step now is, is in Germany, the government said, okay, they want to do a two pillar strategy. First pillar is where you allow consumption, where you allow possession, where you allow to grow three plants at home, and where you can join social clubs, which grow for its members, the cannabis. With that, you decriminalize, you start to enter stigmatization, and you make it, so to say, normal. And the people are no, you know, criminals and so on. So that is, I think, good for society. And that is, for me, a very important first step because others can, other steps can follow easier because you can also speak about issues. You integrate the, uh, the society in the further process, but you need to do it at the first step. So I'm very excited about that. And then the second pillar in Germany is all about pilot projects, so mm -hmm. where they do for five years an evaluation in different regions. And the same is happening in Switzerland, and the same is happening in the Netherlands. So you have three countries, and they are more or less, you know, the Swiss and the Dutch are ahead, but okay. they are all in a similar time frame, maybe more or less. And then you have five years, you have some data points, you have several countries, and then could be a huge to people. Mm -hmm. yeah? But it's important that it's going. But I think it's, it will be um, slower and um, just not as, as fast as people hope. But to be to start. It's all about yeah. starting. Well, it's clear that something has started here. Yeah. It's not going away. No. So between Holland, Switzerland, the country officials elected, what, 10 farms to allow these THC trials? Yeah. And then where would that medicine go? So uh, that's interesting. It gets destroyed so, or? Uh, what I just referred to is, is all programs for recreation. So they, uh, all these countries uh. have medical programs. So we have in Europe, good amount of the countries have medical programs. So medical cannabis is in the most countries, or a lot of countries available. But these three programs I was referring to is really wrecked. So in, in mm. the Netherlands, I think everyone knows the coffee shop. Sure. But there's always the total absurd situation that the product is illegal until it is on the shelf at the coffee shop. Then it's all of a sudden legal. Magic, yeah. Magically yeah. legal. So, and the government said, okay, we want to nominate or uh, select 10 licensees. They grow for the coffee shops to start to, that the supply chain becomes legal. They excluded in this experiment Amsterdam, Rotterdam, because it's much too big. You need much more growers, right? Uh, so that they were selected municipalities which are mu much smaller. And these 10 growers grow for them and for the coffee shops. But they have, they also need to give a good product portfolio. So they need to grow different strains, obviously, but also produce hash and so on. What the normal coffee shop yeah. could do, uh, users and buy today. So they have, they need to come up with a good uh, amount of, of nice uh, products. So that is in the Netherlands and to really test how we can legalize the, the supply chain. Because now it comes also to the Netherlands from all over the world. You get uh, Moroccan hash, you get the, you know. That was always so. It was always yeah. so. Yeah. So, and in Switzerland, it's a program also with municipalities and there it's different because people like you and me, we are maybe Swiss and then uh, we say we want to participate in the program and then you got selected and then in the pharmacy your name is registered and then you can buy it but it's recreational right so that is this program in germany they want to do it similar like in the netherlands that a city of cologne for example want to be part of the experiment and then you need to grow in the municipality you need to distribute there and you need to have a point of sale there 
uh, vertically so integrated. Totally, but in the city, right? Sure. You cannot be in, I don't know, uh, you know, sell it in Munich, but yeah, yeah. grow it in, I don't know, Berlin. I, yeah. yeah. So it's really in, in a regional experiment to test the whole supply chain and to understand, uh, you know, the potential issues, to accompany this whole thing with the field research, to, yeah, to, give, to quantify, to give data, to then, yeah, hopefully change EU law, because this is actually the big thing why everything is so slow, because internationally, you know, you cannot export and import cannabis because it is under the UN's single convention, it's a narcotic. So it, no one is allowed. You need to go out of the UN single convention to say, I mm -hmm. export the recreational cannabis. So, and if Uruguay and other countries did that, Canada did that. But in Europe, we have a problem. It's also forbidden under EU law. And uh. that is a huge issue. So that's why you cannot, for recreational purposes, take wheat in Portugal and export it to Germany. You cannot, it's not possible. So what uh, everyone needs to wait is that there is enough pull from the member state to change EU law and say, we don't see cannabis as a narcotic, which fall under this and that categories and take it out. Then you can do a- That's gonna take some time. Take some time, but there's also desire because see the countries like Portugal, it's a great country to cultivate. They don't have a strong domestic market. They want to export. Yes. And maybe the Germans say, I want the import. And then the Dutch say, and the Luxembourg and Malta, there are several, the Czech, there are several countries moving. So mm -hmm. you need to just collect the team for the same purpose. And I think for that is how the Germans, and the Dutch and the Swiss are doing it right now with a pilot project. Great, because this they can do with EU law and get it started and wait until you have like a critical mass in the yes. end to change uh, policy. Out of all the cannabis you've seen from all over the world uh, that gets imported in Germany, are there any countries where you're like, they're really doing a great job or do you know what I mean? Like, no, yeah, totally. Who, like, who's the best growers in the world? I mean, it, but each grower from each country will tell you they're the best grower. Yeah, but, you're but right. from your perspective. Um, I think uh, it's not so much countries I can pinpoint it to, it's well, yes. good in selecting the right partners mm -hmm. and having the right process and tools to ensure that you get good product, which is fulfilling the requirements. And I think there are companies doing uh, that very well. So yeah, I think that is more the, the distributor wholesaler who buys product knows to scout sure. correctly and you know select correctly. But yeah, I think it's testament to the, that it's a global industry that you can grow good cannabis all over the world. Anywhere. In the past and today and in the future. There's a possibility for everyone, but you need to find your value proposition. Sure. Right? Thanks for listening to Cultivation Elevated. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at pip.horticulture.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cultivation elevated. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.